go. Another edition of Inside the Athlete's Mind. My name is David Strugel. I'm a professor in communication at Hiram College. As always is uh, with me, Andrew White. He is a professor of psychology and the coordinator of the sport management program at Hiram College. Specializes in psychology of sport-related injury and mental skills training for sport performance. Andrew, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing fine. Well, Interesting that uh, we're in some really difficult times in this country, and a lot of raw emotions are uh, being exposed and felt in this country right now, and a lot of it related to the events of May 25th, 2020, where George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man, was suspected of passing a counterfeit $20 bill, died in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, after Derek Chauvin, a white police officer, pressed his knee to Floyd's neck for almost nine minutes while Floyd was handcuffed face down in the street. Two other officers further restrained Floyd while a fourth prevented onlookers from intervening. And, uh, of course, this has been the uh, impetus for the nationwide protests, worldwide protests across the country uh, for racial injustice. And so if a lot of people listening to this, pro- this podcast thinking, what does this have to do with sports? Well, Of course, athletes have taken to social media, one of them being Drew Brees, the Saints quarterback. He did an interview with Yahoo Finance on Wednesday, during which he was asked how the NFL should react if players start kneeling in protest to the national anthem, as Colin Kaepernick did in 2016. In Brees' words, he said, quote, I will never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States of America. He also compared the sacrifice of people who served in the military to the sacrifices of people who fought for civil rights. That prompted LeBron James to respond, and he said, Wow, man, it is, is it still surprising at this point? Sure isn't. You literally still don't understand why Cap was kneeling on one knee. He has absolutely nothing to do with disrespect of the flag and our soldiers, men and women, who keep our land free. My father-in-law was one of those. Then, even more importantly, one of Breeze's own teammates, Saints receiver Michael Thomas, uh, he said on Twitter, he don't know no better, we don't care if you don't agree, and whoever else, how about that? Uh, Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers, uh, he said it has never been about an anthem or a flag. Uh, and all this protest and outrage over Drew Brees' comments uh, prompted Drew Brees to issue an apology on Thursday, uh, in which he said on Instagram, I would like to apologize to my friends, teammates, the city of New Orleans, the black community, NFL community, and anyone I hurt with my comments yesterday and speaking with some of you. It breaks my heart to know the pain I have caused. An attempt to talk about respect, unity, and solidarity centered around the American flag and the national anthem. I made comments that were insensitive and completely missed the mark on the issues we are facing right now as a country. They lacked awareness and any type of compassion or empathy. Instead, those words have become divisive and hurtful and have misled people into believing that somehow I am an enemy. This could, be, this could not be further from the truth, and it is not an accurate reflection of my heart or my character. Those were Drew Brees' words on Instagram on Thursday. And from a communication standpoint, we would label that as tone deaf. Question for you, Andrew, and again, bringing this to a sports standpoint. Obviously, a lot of healing has to happen. Drew Brees being a leader of the team, uh, just a lot to unpack here. Uh, first, as the head coach, Sean Payton, what will he have to do to address this 
as the coach of the Saints? Yeah, um, I mean, before I get to that, uh, you had mentioned that some people may be asking, like, what does this have to do with sports? And I've heard questions like that uh, in the last several days, and it, it makes me wonder, like, I think the better question is what aspect of society does this not touch on? Uh, it's rampant throughout all aspects of society, and sport is just one example of that. Um, you know, even before we had the incident uh, with George Floyd, we had the black man who was bird watching in Central Park, uh, Christian Cooper. And so we have sport, we have hobbies like bird watching, which uh, could be a profession as well. Um, and throughout the history of sport, we've seen issues like civil rights be prominent. Uh, so sport is absolutely just one avenue where we are seeing these issues play out. Uh, for Sean Payton, what does he have to do to bring the team together? That's, I think this is bigger than what a coach can do. Uh, I, I honestly think Breeze has tried to take the first steps himself uh, between him and his PR team, I imagine. Uh, with his apology, I know he's received some criticism for that apology just being kind of like a, a stock apology. Uh, he even had a stock photo to go with it. But uh, you can possibly take that as his attempt to start to mend some of those relationships that he seriously hurt uh, with his original comments, and this isn't the first time he's made similar comments, uh, so it seems to be developing as a pattern, uh, might be indicative of what he's really thinking. Uh, for a coach, I, there are a few different routes to go here. Um, he could try to just separate it and say how you feel about each other outside of the, the game of football doesn't matter here. We have a job to accomplish that's probably not going to be all that effective in the end for something this central to the identity of many of the athletes on the team. Uh, so when you have an important role like a quarterback who seems to be at odds socially or societally with several other players on the team, it's not really something that you can just ignore. It, it may have to be a series of meetings with the team where they just have team meetings and it's air your grievances like well let's talk about these things it can be dangerous in terms of relationships to do that but it can also be really healing so it's a delicate balance to try to navigate those conversations but these are all adults they uh, need to have an environment where they feel like they can express themselves and be mature enough to actually express themselves and be open to listening to what other people are going to say uh it's going to be tough, really tough to make everyone work together well. You brought up a great point at the start of this answer and something I want to backtrack a little bit on. Uh, the intersection of sports and civil rights. Uh, there have been some criticisms, and I'll call out one person, Laura Ingram, who a while back told LeBron James to sh just shut up and dribble. Uh, we know that LeBron James is, has a heavy influence around the world and has done a lot of good for the community, a lot of good for his hometown, what have you. And as you said, Andrew, uh, leaders in sports have been an impetus for change 
for a long time. We look at people like Muhammad Ali uh, and others. Uh, yeah, and so to question sports' role in society and civil rights and uh, opinion change to me is ludicrous because so many people know how influential uh, people in sports are. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Muhammad Ali, many other examples, Jackie Robinson, mm. uh, <laughs> Joe Lewis, uh, we could go on and on. Um, those are just a couple examples, and we don't need to list them all, but it's absolutely just uh, kind of connected, and it's a platform that a lot of these athletes have. Like they have the celebrity status, like LeBron James. He has a platform where he can speak about these bigger societal issues, and he has every right to use that platform. Uh, Laura Ingram's a, a good example. She also has a platform, and she uses her platform to speak about her views and the views of her network. So why are other people not allowed to use the platforms that they have, especially when they're speaking out for people who are disenfranchised and don't have platforms to make their views and their hurt actually heard? Indeed. <clears throat> yeah, it'll be interesting to see how all of this uh, plays on. You've already addressed how Drew Brees, the, the more he has to do to, I guess, extend the olive branch and what have you, just a hot mess altogether and the inappropriate time and not, I, I use the phrase a lot in communication, how to read the room, if you will, right. in terms of sensing the mood, the sentiment of the people around you, but just, as I said earlier, tone deaf. <clears throat> yeah, and I mean, he's he started the uh, word repairs, I guess. But it's, we're still going to need to see some action repairs as well. Correct. Moving on to a little bit of a lighter situation. The NBA, the Board of Governors, the owners voted 29 to 1. The Blazers owner was the only the lone no vote in this. The NBA plans to host the top 16 teams currently in the playoff position, plus teams with the next six best records will kind of have a play-in or whatever kind of round-robin tournament, I guess, at Walt Disney World Resort for eight additional regular season games starting July 31st. Playoffs would end no later than October 12th. Wow, this, if people complain about the old NBA season going long, uh, the draft is now set for October 15th, leaving a 72-hour window for teams to conduct official business between a possible Game 7 and draft night. And if, and this is a big if, Andrew, who do you expect to do better in this kind of situation? There's a long layoff between the end of the season being allowed to report to training facilities and finally, I guess, practice as a team. But as a guy who specializes in sport performance and team performance, uh, where do you look for teams to be successful? Or what, what are you going to look for? Yeah. Um, so you said that people complain about the old NBA season being long. I don't think anyone's going to be begging for a, another NBA season with a three-month uh, intermission. That's just going to drag this on a long time. Uh, in terms of who, which teams or which individuals are 
maybe going to fare a little bit better. Uh, the first thing a lot of people are going to think about is, well, geez, these games are being played in Walt Disney World. That would be Orlando. The Magic are part of this 22-team structure, so do they have some sort of advantage? Yeah, maybe. Uh, it's not like they're playing on their home court, and so the advantage they may have is just familiarity with the area they're in. Uh, they have the opportunity to go home and sleep in their own house. Uh, you might have some of that benefit for the heat as well. They're a little bit closer just being in Miami. Compare that to L.A. teams where there's really not an option to go home every night in this uh, likely condensed schedule. Um, that's not going to matter all that much in terms of the playoffs for the Magic. Currently, they're in the eighth seed. I just don't think they match it up talent-wise with some the higher seeds. They may move up a tiny bit, but they're not going to make it all the way through, I wouldn't believe. The Heat may benefit a little bit by this, but really what's going to matter is who took this time off seriously and didn't take it as a time off. Uh, who took it as a time to evaluate where they've been for the last or for the first roughly 70 games of the season? What were their strengths? What were their weaknesses? Analyze the other teams you're likely to see coming forward, especially in your tournaments the, your side of the playoffs uh, what might you be able to do to exploit some of those teams weaknesses so doing essentially the mental side of the game while still uh, staying in shape you can't really do team workouts during this time uh, but what can you do on your individual game and with the mental side of your game to stay engaged stay ready those are the teams who are going to succeed and it'll be interesting to see who that is because it's hard to just look from the outside and, and say, yeah, the veterans are going to be better at that than the rookies or some of the younger players because there are a lot of younger players who've grown up in the culture of understanding the mental side of sport and they're just as engaged, if not more engaged, than some of the veterans. So it's almost a coin toss on who's going to... Uh, take the most advantage from this how much does team chemistry already existing team chemistry play into being able to just hit the court and go and be successful um it's going to matter for sure and when we talk about team chemistry this kind of goes back to what we're talking about with drew Brees. there there are two sides of it yeah, there's the social side, just getting along with one another, and then there's the actual uh, task side, the performance side. Can we execute together? Uh, they both factor into one another a bit, uh, but you're likely going to see a little bit of uh, rustiness in terms of the task cohesion side. You haven't been working together for all that long. You may have lost a bit of your feels for where your teammates are going to be in rotations and in speed and things like that. Uh, so it's really important and how they use this month of practice to get that feel back, really important. Uh, it's You see this a lot at the beginning of the season after months of not playing together or maybe playing with other teams on uh, world events like the Olympics how do you readjust to playing with your NBA teammates again this is Inside the Athlete's Mind. My name is David Strugel, and my guest, as always, our co-host is Andrew White. And one phrase I see a lot of, I'm not sure it's going to apply a whole lot in the shortened NBA season, is load management. 
and maybe that's just something that's nuanced that that's been going on for a while. But load management refers to anytime you sit a player when you have a back to back or maybe you have someone rehabbing an injury and you might say, okay, we're going to go on a five game West Coast trip and play some of the bottom tier teams. So we'll rest you three nights or whatever. And um, my thing is, what are pluses and minuses to load management? Is it is it a great, I guess, a genius way to get your team to get through the season before you get ready for the playoffs? Is this, I mean, is this something that's relatively new? Or like I said, it's, I, I think it's been going on for a while. It's just that now we finally recognize it, given it a term. Yeah, I think it's been going on for a while, maybe not decades as as much as it is now, but it has been going on for a while. And it's a mix of several factors. So a lot of teams are using a, a data-driven decision-making process for this. They actually have data to suggest that this guy's getting pretty fatigued, pretty worn out, maybe a little bit earlier games. We need to rest him to prevent risk of injury. And other times it is like you're saying, we're going on a stretch where we're playing some bottom leaders we can rest a few people rest them up for the playoffs I don't know how much we'll see of that in this condensed conclusion to the season teams have eight games to essentially get it together Uh, you have eight games to work with one another and compete against other teams to work your way back up to peaking at performance level and that's roughly where teams were when they went on hiatus. They were at 70 games. They only had 12 left in the season. They were working to peak. And now all of a sudden you're starting at a low again. And you got eight games to try to peak. To pull out a key player in that at this time, I'd be surprised if we see a whole lot of it. Locked up the one seed. Um, they may sit one person periodically. Or they may just say, all right, all three or four of these stars, they're going to sit this one game. But you want to make sure that you're a well-oiled machine by the time the playoffs hit because anything can happen when you get into that seven-game series. You lose momentum, and then you're on a neutral court, so you can't rely on home court advantage to help you along. Yeah, I I agree. I I think with a very shortened NBA season, you can cram a lot of games in a short span. I don't think rest is going to be a uh, number one option at this point. I, I think that this almost is going to be a do or die, winner take all. Uh, yeah, I, 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 if you're at the end of the bench, I don't think you'll see the floor a whole lot unless there's a route going on. So I, I really don't think load management is going to be a question now. No, and you asked what are some of the pluses and minuses. And the pluses would obviously be, trying to rest people, protect them from injury. Uh, but also it gives some of your other players who are toward the end of the bench, it gives them a chance to have some serious run in a game and see if they actually deserve some sort of role on the team moving forward or even for this season. Uh, maybe not for this season, but for the immediate future. Uh, so there are a lot of pluses that it provides. Uh, minus is one of the big ones. Big ones would be how it affects the fans. Mm. Uh, You see this with some of the big market teams, uh, the Lakers. They have fans everywhere. So 
when LA goes to play in New York and New York has been struggling and the, and the Lakers decide, yeah, we're just going to sit Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Well, you are making a lot of fans who paid a lot of money to go watch those two specifically in the garden. And now they're not going to play. So you're making those Lakers fans in New York pretty mad. So there's a bit of crowd management and fan management that goes into that as well. I don't, think they pay a whole lot of attention to that though no and and with this situation being at walt disney world or whatever that sports complex is it sounds like the game plan is to not allow fans just to whatever stream the games or put them on espn so whole different element of playing in front of nobody um i'm curious how the teams will respond to that Yeah, it'll be interesting, and I think you might start to see a little bit of what drives some of these players, and some people have flat out said, I don't want to play with those no fans, like that's not play for the fans. Uh, I, I think some of that might just be, they say that, but maybe it's not 100% true, and they're still playing for the game, they love the competition. Uh It'll be interesting to see. Some people are better able to feed off that crowd. Indeed. Well, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, anything else relating to the NBA and getting back to the season here? Or I, I read where baseball might be considering a similar, I guess, start to the season sometime in late July or something like that. But I haven't seen anything official break out yet in terms of a definitive start date or plans. Me neither, in. And they're trying to figure out how many games they'll play, all of that. NHL is in a similar situation, trying to figure out what they're going to do. Uh, they have a few more decisions to make. It seems like the NBA is one of the one of the first leagues to really take these steps to resume play. So uh, I don't want to say they're the guinea pig. I think the other team or the other leagues will make decisions before the NBA actually starts. But it'll be curious to see. Uh, what sort of different decisions are made by these other organizations that are other leagues? And, you know, part of that might be driven by that one vote where the Blazers said, no, we're not okay with this plan. They thought there were other plans that may have been a little better. So maybe some of the other organizations would take a look at that. You know, I find it interesting because the vote was so overwhelming, 29 to 1. And, of course, that this plan leaves out a good chunk of the teams, including the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, their season is over. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks, their season is over, which the reason why I bring up the Hawks is Vince Carter. His 20-year career has now been officially ended. So interesting that even the teams who would not be involved voted for this proposal. Yeah, yeah, and a 20-year career that I believe spanned four decades. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's... Sad to see it end, but he did make his last shot ever, so there's that. Indeed. Um, yeah, and it, it has ramifications for the draft as well. So you had mentioned that the playoffs end three days before the draft. Um, some of these teams aren't really going to know. Well, most teams should know where they are drafting by then if the finals go seven games. Uh, but that's still a fairly quick turnaround. And a lot of the teams that were eliminated from continuing the season, those eight teams that didn't make it, I believe they all have the same odds of the number one overall pick. I could be wrong on that, but that's uh, 
unfortunate for the teams who actually were lower in the standings going in, like Cleveland. Uh, they end up with the same odds as somebody who would have finished higher than them with a worse chance of that number one overall pick. I just, I just, I just find it odd that I have a milestone 50th birthday coming up in the uh, later part of October, and I might be celebrating a Lakers championship at that time. So that's very unusual. <laughs> yeah, that would be unusual, and for me, not something to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. All right, Andrew. Anything else? All right. Well, hey, we want to thank everyone for listening to this uh, podcast inside the athlete's mind. We'll be back in two weeks as usual. Until then, take care. Mm-hmm.